time stuff that I wish I had. The big time stuff that'll make you mad. The big time stuff. I like the big time stuff. I like the big time stuff that I never had. Welcome to the uh, Chris Heidel show. Um, I'm Robin. Uh, in case anybody didn't know, yeah, you're uh, Neil Modi, <laughs> and this is the Market Meditations podcast. Oh, okay, sorry. I, I yes, you've got, got yeah, you're you, you know you have so many podcasts. Neil. <laughs> so many, only, only the one. Only the one. Yes. Uh, I'm just gonna type tag you here, and we will start the show. Chris Adele. Well, you should edit this part out. Our poor listeners are suffering through this administrative yes, delay. On LinkedIn Live, I'm just I'm just uh, tagging you so that people. All right, carry on, Neil. <laughs> <laughs> um, here we go. I got you tagged. There we go. It's all set up now. Okay. So uh, we've got a couple of fun guests coming up for our mm-hmm. podcast. One of them is James Nestor, who wrote the book Breathe, mm-hmm. which we can all learn to do better. Mm. That's uh, the truth. It's the yellow book. Make sure you buy it. We've got to read it before we. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Are you speaking to me or to the audience? Yes. Well, yes. Such as they may be. Yeah. 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 Um, and then we also have. Uh, Brett Johnson, um, a guy who uh, I've known for a long time, um, who I met through our good friend Curtis Estes, actually. Mm. And uh, Brett owns a bunch of uh, interest in soccer teams in Europe and, yeah, in Germany and in Arizona. Uh, It's very interesting. Um, I've always kind of been interested. I'm sure people would like to learn about a little bit about the soccer business because why not? It's just another Mm -hmm. thing. Mm -hmm. Um, and he's also an investment banker on the side and makes regular VC investments at the same time. So he's in, he's in, got his fingers in lots of things. Um, mm-hmm. So I, I think those will be a couple of fun guests. And, and Chris, did any of our other fun guests confirm that you were talking about? Well, we've, we're waiting for one to return from Hungary. So he feels best to be in our presence. That would be this summer. That's uh, Wendell. And uh, no, I haven't gotten that confirmation. So when you heard it here first, yeah. before the Wall Street Journal makes it breaking news, or the USA Today does. Yeah, Bill Pierce will appear on our podcast at some points. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm a big fan of his from from Suits. Um, mm-hmm. He's a fun actor, and uh, um, Jack really Ryan now. Jack Ryan, uh, mm-hmm. you know, on Amazon Prime. So uh, check it out um, mm-hmm. as well. Uh, and we've got a bunch of other folks we're working on, so we're excited. We just thought we, we hadn't done a podcast in a few weeks, and we hadn't seen each other in this format, so we should do something today. Uh, <laughs> something useful. <laughs> something useful. So uh, well, you, Our you conversation know. about the news is always useful. Mm-hmm. But, I, you know, I thought we might start out a little bit about, you know, what's going on in the markets, what you're seeing, what it is you're thinking. Um, the mark, You know, Mr. Market always seems crazy to me. Yeah. Crazy yeah. Potentially three trillion in st- stimulus and mm-hmm. interest rates that are low, and you know, an economy that no longer matches the market. And I, you know, like everybody else, even though maybe nothing's changed and you're not going to mm-hmm. say anything new, it's still confusing to continue to see these headlines pile up. 
and have nothing really be new from from last time, right? You see everything just going higher and higher and higher, and that's okay. Well, nothing's changed since you know three weeks ago, Neil. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it does seem like rotation is the name of the game. I mean, you know, the S and P five hundred index has slipped three percent from its all time highs last Thursday through this morning. You know. Um, and the treasury yields have been pushed up. So there's been this definite shift, and you can see it in, uh, certainly in the, the former leaders, the tech stocks. Most things seem to have rolled over or peaked either in late February or um, as recently as last week. Um, but other parts of the market seem to be getting some flows, you know, clearly into bonds. Maybe we're reading too much into this. You know, I always laugh. Sometimes, uh, an executive sells shares because he's building a swimming pool and the market freaks out. Why did he sell? Is there some insider knowledge? I think when a lot of investors uh, or the markets sell off, hey, tax payments are due. It could just be something as simple as that. Wait, that was a terrible comparison, though. When a CEO decides to dig a hole as opposed to keep investments in his company, um, we should think that's totally okay and normal. No, no, no. I I think you're over-interpreting, which I may have allowed, that statement. I only mean that very often they're selling pressure in the market and we don't know why. But as is human tendency, we kind of make up reasons. You know, how often do you watch the news and they say investor skittishness led the Dow? No one knows. Again, it could have just been an executive selling because they wanted to fund their charitable foundation or some other reason, not because there's a problem with the company. It could be investors in sort of large numbers are selling because they have tax payments to meet rather than because there's something fundamentally that's changed with their outlook on the economy. I'm saying we just don't know why, but these are the things that are happening. That's all. So that trend or this rotation certainly seems to be a trend, though. And uh, we'll have to see if it continues. You know, there's a lot of hopefulness still built into share prices in most of the indexes. Um, we've had a tremendous rebound. And some argue that the, the jobs numbers support this rebound. But if you really look at the numbers closely, I mean, most of the jobs, I think close to 80% were in, you know, the 18 to 26-year-old cohort. And most of those were hospitality jobs, not the highest paying. So it is an improvement. There's no doubting that. And there's no gain saying that this is better than it was. But is this a V-shaped recovery that everyone's hoping for? Is there a ton of pent-up demand? I think it's too early to make those kinds of calls. But I'm optimistic. (laughs) Hopeful, maybe, not optimistic, that uh, things continue to improve uh, much more rapidly and with more traction. But God, Neil, if you look around the world, there's all kinds of supply chain problems. I don't know if you're seeing that in any of the um, investments or things you're considering that's on your radar. Hmm? The only one I'm seeing shortage-wise is the semiconductors on Intel, right? Like, yeah, yeah. I'm not really seeing them other places in the world as I'm reading the news, so I'm not reading the same things you are clearly. Well, you know, I mean, General Motors had to shut down a couple of plants. They weren't getting not just the the chips. I mean, the you know, autos, of course, are the second most um, valuable market for semiconductors. Um, there's been shortages there, surely. 
but even like resin prices and plastic production and injection molding, all these pieces, you know, are very hard to come by. I have a client who started a uh, van conversion business and he said, we can't get left rear windows for the vans, the sprinter vans we like to um, left rear. use. Left rear, right. I guess the right window is okay, but the left. So all these strange problems are cropping up in the supply chain and it's fascinating, um, these dislocations. Um, but, you know, they've been uh, revealed since the beginning of COVID from the problems getting you know, personal protective equipment, PPE, to the medical workers. We had uh, problems. Some of that's COVID-related. You know, you shut down a factory in Wuhan or in other parts of China, and that's it. That's the critical joint or node in the supply chain. Um, but we even have, you know, backups here at L.A. The Port of Los Angeles has, some, in some cases, a two-week delay for ships to offload. So we've just seen the ships lining up from... Long Beach all the way down to Newport. Oh, waiting. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, and it's the same at the or at Rotterdam. You know, Rotterdam and Los Angeles are the two busiest ports in the in the world. And they're just <clears throat> backlogged. Um, so some of it's logistics and actual, you know, labor shortages um, due to rotating lockdowns and COVID problems and outbreaks. But uh, a lot of it's just, again, throughout the whole supply chain, just getting the raw material. How, how does that ultimately affect the, the market? Not the economy, the market. The financial markets? Yeah. I don't know, Neil. It's uh, ultimately... <laughs> Why do I ask you questions anymore, Chris? Yeah, exactly. Right. Any question. Anybody pitch in, any, any viewers, any listeners. Can, I think um, the market has seemed impervious, but what ultimately happens is these bottlenecks lead to rising prices. That leads to inflationary expectations changing. Um, obviously, profitability changes. Theoretically, these fundamental changes in businesses' profits, their margins, um, should affect their share prices, right? Um, when margins are compressed, clearly the cash flow is compromised and the business is worth less. Um, but really what seems to be happening is um, as this has put pressure um, or supported the upward trend in interest rates, higher commodities prices have been seen across the board, whether it's lumber or soybeans or um, lithium for batteries um, or copper prices. We've seen this you know, uh, tremendous surge in pricing across the commodities complex. So that has to eat into margins. Yes. So beyond inflation, that we expect that remote control car to be more expensive for Christmas. That's right. That's right. Well, you know, every electric vehicle has uh, almost a couple hundred pounds of copper in them. Um, fleet vehicles more, and uh, electric buses almost a thousand pounds of copper. So as we even move to this renewables revolution and the greening of america um the shift to evs alone is putting tremendous demand pressures on things like lithium and nickel and cobalt and um copper um, so so this is a a real question will these bottlenecks persist um or is it really just all covid related there's definitely a mixed bag we'll see the answer is yes 
Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, um, no, no, I mean, all joking apart, right? It seems like we were kind of due for some of these bottlenecks anyway. Yes. Um, COVID made it worse and made it more clear, but it seems like even as uh, COVID recovery might happen, that a bunch of these bottlenecks and um, shortages will mm -hmm. likely continue. Mm -hmm. And it seems too, I mean, it's very possible that investors, especially institutional investors, are taking some money off the table. The stock markets generally have, uh, certainly the indexes and the former leaders have run up. And this rotation could be to companies that are safer or have a lower uh, lower valuations, uh, you know, where you're getting more value for your investment dollar. Um, I mean, all the institutional investors out there, please just put more money into Microsoft. My wife works there. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure they'll jump right to it. You know. <laughs> But you know, but it's really that you would yeah. you would see some of that, right? Um, where mm -hmm. else, other than the safer companies, when they pull money out of the markets, where do the larger institutions um, endowments end up? You know, other than venture cap, some some of the obvious ones. Is there any mm -hmm. uh, uncorrelated assets that we're not as familiar with that people go to put their money in? Well, the you know the the large pensions have had a uh, bias toward private equity versus venture. Um, so they are looking for sort of non-traditional um, and certainly not publicly traded assets where the volatility um, can be dampened or is high. Uh, you know, by diversifying to those non-traded assets or long, very long-term assets, they can dampen that volatility that we're seeing in the public markets. But um, yeah, I don't know, Neil. I um, think this uh, shift is very real. I don't know how enduring it'll be. But um, there are a lot of companies, of course, that have been trading at just crazy multiples of sales with no profits from everything from, of course, DoorDash to um, the SPAC boom, which I think has rolled over. But time will tell um, to, you know, Snowflake and Lemonade. I mean, these companies are trading or have been at 80 to 100 times sales. Um, well, it seems like every the, the market's in a rush to price things at their 20-year future value. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, let's, yeah. let's understand exactly where the company's going to go to, you know, 20 years from now. Let's price it that way today. Right. So all you need then is to have a, uh, a big TAM, right? Total addressable market is huge, and then your share price or whatever follows suit. Seems to work because for Uber. It worked for Uber. It works for Tesla. As if uh, Tesla is the only electric vehicle car com you know company out there, that that market price is what it is. But um, leaving that kind of crazy anomaly aside, we're seeing that boom in all the EV companies. You know, you've got um, Lordstown Motors. I mean, many of these things seem to be rolling over, and we'll see if that's a permanent change of affairs. But uh, GameStop didn't go quietly into the night. That was, you know, purely a trading sardine, a very speculative. Um, toy or poker chip that uh, young redditors were pushing up and down, and it had several waves of uh, <laughs> very astronomical highs and quick, uh, quickly achieved lows. Um, it's like a manic yo-yo up and down, but it's a part of what's in our collective consciousness. People, I think, are running, really trying to find high returns in a very low return world. You know. Neil, that's uh, that's the search. I mean, guilt-edged investments like treasury bonds don't yield anything anymore. Um, you know, when I first started 
really investing professionally in the 90s, you were getting, you know, eight, seven, eight, nine percent on on investment grade bonds. So those days are long gone. Can you imagine it now? And and what's the average yield today? Because I don't pay attention to the bond market. Oh, on the 10-year treasury, it's 1.6 percent. Wow. And the spreads have collapsed. So, you know, it's driven people. In just a decade. Mm Mm-hmm. Wow. A decade and a half for that. But, you know, even at the time of the great financial crisis, the treasuries were yielding 5%. I wasn't really sure what to think. My uh, priest asked me today um, mm-hmm. about the best yield on, you know, an investment. And I was like, why are you asking me this question, right? Like, mm-hmm. you understand I'm in the venture capital business. But but it kind of tells you that. <laughs> no yields. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. we're still looking for big capital Capital events, we're not looking for the yield, right? Correct. For the right. monthly dividend. Right. right. You've got to handicap a different outcome than looking at. The thing I found interesting is, you know, even he's thinking about where he can get a better return. And he, mm-hmm. you know, he's having a hard time trying to figure that out. And I'm like, wait, my priest is trying to figure this out. This is not a normal, normal conversation you, you have, right? It's normally just let's call and say a quick prayer. It's nice to talk to you. Bye-bye. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's the normal extent of the of the conversation. But talk to me yeah. about what else I can do with my money. And I'm like, huh? Where did yeah, this- yeah. It's, a, I, it's in think, the zeitgeist, you know? Yeah, but I think uh, the, the, the country and the world must be trying to figure obviously out the same thing, right? Mm-hmm. The average, we'll call it Joe America, mm-hmm. is trying to figure that out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, um, yeah, we've created a tremendous amount of debt, which are claims on existing assets. It doesn't mean we've created a lot of new assets, you know. Um, capital markets have created a lot of claims. Um, we've had a record uh, IPO boom and now the SPAC boom. Uh, both, again, seem to have kind of taken a back seat. although this is just very recent. Since February 24th or so, we've seen that kind of rollover. But I don't know. Those seemed like a good idea. Certainly, we're very faddish. Uh, not IPOs necessarily, but the SPAC boom. Uh, we'll see if it continues. SPAC boom can't. It just you're yeah. over, people are overpaying for things, right? Yes. Oh yeah. You can yeah. Skip, but you know, normally, normally IBs make what we'll call it ten percent. Now, now suddenly they should make twenty. Thirty, a third sometimes. Yeah. I, I haven't seen that. Wow. Okay. Some of them yeah. are really overpriced. Yeah. Um, and there's not that many good assets out there for that kind of acquisition price, it would seem, anymore. Um, no, right. Even for the best deal makers, I think you're going to struggle to overcome that cost hurdle. But I guess many people, or um, certainly some company founders like it, well, first, because the disclosures are less. If you're, <laughs> if you're not quite above board in all your dealings, that's a good uh, clo- cloak and dagger way to go public. Um, but as one of my friends told me, he said, well, you only get screwed once. <laughs> at the beginning with a SPAC instead of, you know, having to negotiate consistently with the <laughs> with the investment banks and, you know, the green thumb rules and all the ways that they try to level the playing field. You've got to, you kind of die from a million cuts, it feels like, with traditional IPO pricing, roadshows and the whole thing. Well, so, What's the number one question you're getting from your clients these days? Like, uh, obviously there's themes where, some questions stick out. Is is earning specific or is it? It's that. What's going on? <laughs> what in the world's going on? I think people feel deep in their bones that the real economy hasn't caught up 
to where the market's pricing it, the public markets have priced, you know, a lot. And we're not really seeing it that well. Like I see it when I go down to downtown Seattle and I see more homelessness and I see more people struggling and I'm more likely to see people camping on their cars, but I'm not really seeing it in my little suburbia, right. Of of Bellevue that much. Yeah. Yeah. I know um, my experience in Pasadena or Altadena, um, right. Yeah. Has been um, also pretty good, but, I don't know, the crime statistics and shoplifting and some of these other things belie my um, observations. Maybe I've got to widen my perspective a little bit. But if you look at, you know, um, uh, many of the reports from the big retailers and uh, especially brick and mortar and grocery stores and stuff, you see that there's been a tremendous jump or surge in shoplifting and these kinds of crimes and burglaries on the crime statistics. I mean, there is a a, a bit of desperation you can sense from some of these uh, observations and some of these statistics you see. Um, though I guess you're right, it hasn't touched me personally. I even think about that with COVID, right? We've had half a million, 550,000 who've died. It's more than World War II. And, I mean, the war was very present. Obviously, you don't know the outcome. There's a lot of anxiety. We've all felt pretty confident that ultimately we'd get through this thing. But that's a lot of a lot of death, and that hasn't hit many people close to home. Huh? Do you know anybody who's died of COVID yet? I have had, well, Ellis Marcellus, the great piano player from New Orleans, a real beautiful soul. Oh, um, I didn't realize he died of COVID. Yeah, it was COVID. He was early on, right after carnival season last year, 2020, which was a super spreader event, unbeknownst to all the participants. So um, he contracted COVID, and um, that was it. Um, so that's the, uh, some of those stand out to me, but I think I had, uh, you know, one of my cousins, um, her in-laws, one of their in-laws passed away. That's, you know, still at really arm's length for me. Um, but, but, um, yeah. It, how about you, Neil? Any, a few now. anyone yeah. close to you? Yeah. A few. Um, not people I'm particularly close with, but people mm-hmm. I'm too closely. How's that? Yeah, yeah. Um, so. and, and some family friends, right? So yeah, yeah. Um, which is weird and strange to even hear about, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, even though we're like you said, we're five hundred thousand in, right? Yeah. And that's the ones that are being reported, so it's probably a much higher number. Um, mm-hmm. People still can't diagnose it well all the time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, hopefully, some of the investments you're making will remedy that situation inevitably uh, actually a good night yes inevitably i like that <laughs> like that confidence now don't be overconfident but no, they're, they're just the right well. amount of confidence right? they're doing well they're doing well yeah, yeah but yeah no i mean you're working uncovering the next you know um the those companies that have improved diagnostics and great tools just moves us all forward you know so um anyway Chris, anything else you want to say to our audience today? I kind of feel like we're at a normal, natural place to end the podcast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I I think uh, it's really important to kind of watch where we are in terms of uh, what's happening with our natural resources, our commodity prices, and the bottlenecks we see. Um, If those don't ease up soon, then I think it's probably really a a rotation that's semi permanent that's going to avail itself of higher commodity prices when well, asking um, ourselves do we really need the next iphone right do we really need the next are what? we at that point right now it may be 
you know, just from a general standpoint, we've been investing heavily, of course, in technology, software, to a lesser extent, hardware. Um, and we've been underinvesting in the natural resources we need. Again, as I mentioned, you know, things like copper, nickel, cobalt, even in the agricultural side, um, because the weather patterns have become more unpredictable. We're seeing disruptions that come regularly and, um, you know, huge corn imports to China because of the flooding last year and soybean imports from Brazil to China because of that. So it's putting pressure across all markets. And then we have this COVID disruption, which certainly added to that. Um, the Fed seems to think it's fleeting. I'm not so sure. Again, years of underinvestment mean that these high prices could persist and lead to some inflationary pressures. Anyway, uh, makes money more expensive. And I think that's also why we're seeing this shift toward cash flowing companies. It's one thing to buy Snowflake at a 80, 60, 80 times sales <laughs> and the fact that, oh, they'll be profitable eight years from now, but not when interest rates are rising. No, you're going <laughs> to look for companies that are cash flowing today. Um, so there's this kind of shift away from these long duration asset plays, I think, like a Lemonade or Snowflake or some of these companies, Shopify. Even. It's a great business model, but just you've got to wait so long as an investor and people like your priest need more revenue, more income today. And that shift is starting to take place because of the rising prices. I think accelerating that. But anyway, that's something to watch consistently. We'll see if that changes. Well, I, I, I think the big, part of the big point is just be mindful of all the normal resources we have. And just because we can afford something doesn't mean we should go buy it. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, that's kind of my big takeaway on shortage, right? Like why? Well, right. It's right. not really about whether we can. It's about whether, like, if we can use it, let's use it. Right. Mm -hmm. So. Yeah. Well, and uh, we should always touch the things that are right in our lives. You know, there's a lot that we're just trained as human beings to touch what's wrong, what's wrong, what can we fix, what can we improve. But I think we should all just breathe and recognize we've made it this far. We're alive. Um, there's so many wonderful things that we have, the love of our families, um, just the blue sky, <laughs> something as simple as a baby smile, you know, or your dog Zen. It's a really wonderful life we've been given, and it's uh, something great to embrace and enjoy, no matter what the markets give us. <laughs> and they're going to serve us up some surprises, so everybody be ready. Anyway, that's how I'd like to. Let's end with the bell. Yes, I think a wonderful idea. Thank you for joining us today. Yeah, thank you for breathing with us, everyone, and thanks for listening. <laughs>